0: This evening we light upon Psalm 8. Uh, I mentioned uh, last time having begun with Psalm 1 and then proceeding to Psalm 2. That uh, it was not my intention to go one by one all the way through all of the psalms. Uh, tonight maybe the clarification might be that it, we maybe won't even necessarily go chronologically or, or numerically through the psalms. We might go, I don't know, forward to... Psalm sixty-four, and then come back to Psalm thirty-seven, or something like that. Generally, my my thought is, I think I've indicated in in, in this series is to focus on and, and cover certain psalms that are perhaps uh, particularly difficult. And uh, we asked the question at the beginning: uh, Have you ever been singing a, a psalm and stopped to think about what that really means that you're singing? And that's actually a, a good experience, and it's a it's a good question to ask um, if we're not just humming softly uh, but singing actual words to God, the meaning of which words we do not understand, then this is not this is not what it should be. Uh, we need to understand and and to sing thoughtfully whatever it is that we sing to God. And therefore, the advantage of uh singing the Psalms uh, is uh is that if we take it seriously, we are are prompted by our singing of the Psalms to study God's Word. Uh, And we might ask, well, is it it fair to give such a focus to the Psalms, perhaps over and against the rest of Scripture? But the book of Psalms is quite unique. Uh, Martin Luther referred to the book of Psalms as being a kind of mini-Bible, Um, In in other words, the Psalms are are certainly poetic and and they need to to be read with the acknowledgement and the understanding that they are indeed poetry. Psalm 75 is probably the classic example as it refers to the earth set upon pillars. Quite controversial. Um, uh, The point is not that the Bible is teaching that the earth is literally set upon pillars uh, it is not likely that even the original author understood that the Earth was set on literal poet, uh, literal pillars it's poetry, <laughs> uh, and just like even today we speak of the sun rising when we know that the Earth revolves on its axis and and it does so in proximity to the sun, producing day and night on the face of the earth. well, so the psalm. Uh, is speaking not scientifically, but but no less truthfully regarding the stability of the earth set upon so-called pillars. So the Psalms are poetic, and and they need to be read as such. But Luther called the book of Psalms a a mini-Bible Uh, So that by by studying the Psalms, we can find a a certain summary of the the central teachings of God's Word as a whole. Granted, being poetry, um, we need the rest of Scripture to help us understand the Psalms. But when we use the rest of Scripture, we can find here a kind of poetic summary of all that is taught Within the Word of God. So, Psalm 8 this evening. uh, Psalm 8 is uh, a somewhat familiar psalm, I would imagine, perhaps not as familiar as Psalm 23 or Psalm 46 or Psalm 100, but a familiar psalm uh, nonetheless to some degree. It, It begins with those familiar words O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And with that beginning, let's let's spend the balance of our time seeking to understand this Psalm. And let's use a bit of poetry to uh, set up an outline for Psalm eight. Number one, telling all. Number two, feeling small, and number three, standing tall. First, telling all. Again, verse 1 of Psalm 8 reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. The message, the lesson here is that God is known. God has made himself known throughout all the world that he has created. And he is known exactly by what he has created. In other words, the testimony of creation is first that God exists, secondly, that he is majestic. The creator is always greater than the creation. It's true of all artistry, even among mankind. The artist stands above her work exactly because she created it. If art is good, the artist is even greater. Just so, God has set his glory above the heavens that he created. And think about the word majestic. What does that make you think of? What does it convey to you? It, it conveys highness, even kingship. So, so that the psalmist is looking out at all that God has made. And by creation, the psalmist is seeing the majesty of God. And we make this first point telling all for two reasons. first, because the testimony of creation goes out to all people without exception. Psalm eight begins quite parallel to Psalm 19, which puts it this way, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above uh, proclaims his handiwork." And, and Psalm 18 or Psalm 19 gets even more specific. Or explicit by adding there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard although one difference between Psalm 8 and Psalm 19 is that Psalm 8 would seem to refer mostly to the earth while Psalm 19 focuses uh, 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 only on the heavens the skies above but Psalm 8 draws in the observation not only of the earth but also of the heavens above. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So, I don't know, maybe Psalm 8 is a little more comprehensive in terms of drawing in both the, the heavens as well as the glory of God within the earth. So, so, by way of all that God has created, all the world is given to see that God exists and what God is. He is majestic. He is glorious. But furthermore, the first point is telling all, because not only are all told, but all are told all. The Apostle Paul in Romans one twelve puts it this way, that, that what can be known about God, that there is a sense of the all. What, what can be known about God is, Uh, is plain to all mankind because God has shown it to them, namely His eternal power and divine nature, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul didn't give specific reference to Psalm 8 or to Psalm 19 as he taught this, but if we take the Bible as a whole, if if we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, it's it's hard to think that Paul did not have these two psalms in mind. Again, Psalm 8, verse 1, "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So that, the Apostle Paul teaches, not something new, But only echoing what these two psalms already say, he said, what can be known about God is plain to mankind because God has shown it to them. His His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, on one hand, Psalm 8 is, is just the expression of a, of a believer who is looking out at the world around him, both the heavens and the earth, so that Psalm 8 is really, as well, a call for us to, to stop. And not just to stop and smell the roses, although that might be part of it, but to stop and to, and to see God in creation. Not that creation is God. But as creation gives testimony to its maker, so we see God in creation. If you want to see God, so to speak, then, then just look at all that He has made in the world around us. Too often we, we get so wrapped up in trying to stay alive in this world that we fail to look at the world in which we are trying to stay alive. Such is the vortex of sin as it sucks us in. Sin brings death and thus the struggle to stay alive. And the struggle to stay alive brings busyness. So busy, in fact, that we fail to see by his creation the good God who gives us life and sustains our lives in this world. Sin makes us think that our our survival is, is based on our own activity in this world. When instead, we need to look to the world around us to find not only the existence of, of God, but also the care of God for us. And the care of God extends beyond food and drink and, and, uh, and shelter. It, it includes our need for salvation, our need to be forgiven, our need for righteousness before God, and, and even our need for resurrection. Unto eternal life. But the point is not just to go out and look at the stars tonight. The the point is not just to go out in the forest and meditate on a tree. Uh, I love the the poem by Joyce Kilmer uh, called Trees. It says, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, uh, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair. Upon whose bosom snow has lain. Who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me. Only God can make a tree. It's a great poem. It's a great message. But but the point is not to... Uh, just to go out in the forest and meditate on a tree. The point is to recognize our blindness to God's revelation in creation and, and thus to turn to his word. We see this in Psalm 8 when, when we hear the, the psalmist exclaim, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. By, by naming the Lord, he is referring to the God who has made himself known by word. Not that he had not already made himself known by creation, but the psalmist references to the covenant God, the God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Otherwise, Psalm eight just becomes uh, the psalm of the naturalist. Um, the naturalist says, I'll, "I'll just go out and commune with nature. I'll go sit on a mountaintop, and and uh, and by that experience, I'll I'll figure it out for myself uh, who." And what God is, or, or perhaps whether there even is a God. No, this is, this is Yahweh. This is the covenant God. This is the God who speaks to a blind mankind. The God who does not leave us in the blindness of sin, but who comes and speaks and saves us from our blindness by His Word. And so as further testimony to the blindness of mankind... The psalm says this, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The reference here is is directly to the blindness of mankind. Uh, It's not that babies and infants are any less blind to his glory and creation than adults are. It's just that adults are more likely to have developed the the arrogance of of sin. Why is it that our children can so easily sing praise to God while their parents grow to have a doubting heart? There would seem to be degrees of blindness to the revelation of God in creation. As, As we grow older, we are far less likely to sing with joyful heart, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the children who are who are best able to look at the world around us and to say wow. Granted even our children do not look at the world around them and say wow in praise to God except by the word of God. But by the word our our children are are more given to declare the glories of God and creation and and this is God's further testimony to us. He he puts us to shame which is to say God puts our blindness on display by drawing from children the greater praise than even their parents. This was was our Lord's point in teaching when he said, uh, Let the children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were turning the children away. And Jesus basically said, What? Uh, the children are the ones who get it. And unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom. You You will not be saved apart from taking up the faith of a child. Rebel man says, don't treat me like a child. But God says, you are a child. You are even less than a child in some ways. But I would have you as my child. So God gives that new birth unto the faith of a child and the security of a child under the care of the Father who is in heaven. And so the next point makes sense, I think, feeling small. Talk about children leads to feeling small. There, There is a logical progression here in Psalm 8. The first point calls us to take up the faith of a child, to, to see the majesty of God in His creation. The second point speaks of feeling small, which is what you feel when you're a child. Verses 3 and 4 uh, say, uh, When I look at your heavens, the, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for Him. This is exactly why mankind in sin will, will not acknowledge and confess what is right before their eyes. Creation is right before our eyes so that the majesty of God is right before our eyes, but we refuse to see it, which is to say mankind in sin will not acknowledge and confess it because the revelation of God makes us feel so very small And we refuse to be small. Have you ever had the experience of of standing under a a starry sky and being made to feel small? Here's the irony, that as mankind's understanding of the universe grows, so we feel smaller and smaller beneath the starry sky. And there are even scientists today who who want to say, uh, maybe... Just maybe the universe is infinite and even eternal. Which is to say there are those who who are ready to ascribe to the universe those attributes that belong to God. We, We know now by some scientific evidence what every person looking at the sky knew already that there is far more out there than we can possibly comprehend And again, the point is is that our thoughts should turn to God, our Creator. Instead, on one hand, the point is not missed, namely the smallness of mankind. On the other hand, the point is entirely missed, that infinity and eternality are found not in the universe, but in the one who created the universe, as the Maker is always greater than than the thing he makes. Either way, we are left to feel very small. And we can either feel small in utter despair of ourselves, wondering when some asteroid is going to strike the earth and eliminate us. Or we can feel small while being glad for and taking comfort in our creator God. It is a choice. Every human being has a choice to make. Will we feel small? Either way, we're going to feel small. But will we feel small and look to our Creator for His care and His plan of salvation? Or will we feel small and just despair of any hope and of any meaningful existence in this uncertain world? But we ought to see that when the psalmist asks his question in verse 3 and 4, he is making a statement. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The point, the point is not to cast any doubt on the fact that uh, God is mindful of mankind. What is the son of man that you care for him? The point, the point is, is, is not to say that God uh, doesn't care for uh, mankind, but, but why? Given the smallness of man, the psalmist is saying, wow. The psalmist is marveling at God's thought for mankind and his care of mankind. And we might easily do the same. And yet here's the answer. Telling all, feeling small, and then standing tall. How should we stand tall in the midst of a universe that makes us feel so small? We do so by remembering our Creator. We do so by learning and remembering and confessing that, uh, or confessing what the psalmist writes, yet you have made mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The psalmist is speaking of how. God created man in his own image. Think of it. uh, The sun itself is bigger and more powerful than we can fully understand. Yet the sun was not created in the image of God. The moon is bigger than we can understand. Yet the moon is merely a rock set in orbit around the earth and reflecting the brightness of the sun. There are There are billions of of stars in the sky. Again, the scientists tell us what God's Word has, has said for ages, that the stars cannot be numbered. But none of the stars, not even all of them together, were made in the image of God. This is the psalmist's answer to his own question. His perceived smallness in the world evokes from him the question, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you care for him? And yet the emphasis is made by the answer, mankind is special. Mankind is made in the image of God. The sun and moon do not think. They only do what God set them in place and in orbit to do. The stars have no cognition. They only stand as God set them in place to provide a a marker in in the night sky. It's only man who has been given the ability to think and to respond in praise to his maker. Or think of the difference between a, a doll and an actual child. Our, our children play with dolls, but the doll cannot, cannot, cannot know, it cannot think, it, it cannot respond, it, it cannot act. Or, or think even of the difference between a pet and a, and a child. A dog or a cat might give some response to the "...care of its owner, but it cannot speak, it cannot declare the praises of its owner, nor of its maker." And and that's what Psalm 8 declares, that by way of being made in the image of God, mankind has dominion over the works of God's hand. All things have been put under His feet, under the feet of mankind." all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the, the birds and the, uh, of the heavens, the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. The point is to make a very comprehensive list of all creatures. Again, and it's, it's all. How majestic is your name in all the earth, and now all things have been put under the feet of mankind for the glory of the God who created mankind in his own image. But here comes sin again to, to make man crawl like a serpent on his belly. What does sin do but, but make us reject our honored place and position within God's creation? When we ought to stand tall, we instead reject the Word of God and His purpose for us in this world. Sin is basically the rejection of an honor that God has placed upon us. Sin is abdication of a throne. Sin is to become animal-like, both the refusal and the failure to bear the image of God. When man should stand tall, he instead chooses to crawl, like any other creature not made in the image of God. So there's the end, right? Uh, Isn't that message enough? It's It's a great message. It reminds us that people are special, that dogs and cats are not people. Sorry to some of you pet owners, your dogs and cats are not people. People are made in the image of God, and we need to show due respect for what is called the sanctity of life, both in the womb and at the end of life. We must respect the the human life of those creatures made in the image of God. Psalm 8 teaches us that we must look out at all that God has made and even see God himself. Again, not the creation is God, but God himself has chosen to reveal himself to us by what he has made. And we must respond to his revelation as a little child, trusting Him his revelation of himself in order to know him trusting his care for us and enjoying what he provides and remembering that we ourselves along with all mankind have been made in the image of God. We are thinking, knowing and responding creatures able to discern our creator and called to give him our praise and thanks. But Along comes Hebrews 2. In Hebrews 2, the apostle is arguing the supremacy of Christ. So that in Hebrews 2, verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, that's Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. In short, the writer of Hebrews has found Christ in Psalm 8. And he has found Christ by way of Christ's humanity. Christ is the fulfillment of Psalm 8 because Christ is the Son of Man. It was our Lord's preferred self-designation, calling Himself the Son of Man. Jesus certainly didn't deny His own divinity, but instead claimed it. I and the Father are one. He said before, Abraham was, I am. And By His miracles, our Lord put His divinity on display, much as He did in creation. And yet His preferred self-designation was as the Son of Man. He was identifying with us. He was claiming us as His own, even that we might claim Him as our own. And this is what faith is. Even saving faith, to claim Christ as your own. Not just as your God, your Lord, and your King, but as your brother, your fellow man according to the teaching of the apostle in hebrews 2 psalm 8 is a psalm that puts a great exclamation point on the humanity of christ mankind was made in the image of god and so can stand tall in a universe that makes him feel small but the only way to stand as tall as we should is by seeing christ in psalm 8 He was made for a little while lower than the angels. He took on human flesh. And so he was crowned with glory and honor. In the end, all things of earth will once again be put under the rule of man. And that rule of man will come by way of Christ's rule. This is our hope and our assurance that though we struggle now, yet by Christ's suffering... We shall be restored to our position as rulers. Not only will the earth be ours as a possession, it will be ours once more to rule. And the reason we can be so sure is that the renewed rule of man has already begun in Christ. He is the Son of God, and he is the Son of Man. And even now he is ruling over this earth. And as God's word makes clear, we too will rule with him in, in all eternity. Let's stop there and, uh, and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are truly one of us. How marvelous! How wonderful. How comforting. Help us to remember this for our comfort and, and, and help us to know in, in our struggle that you have overcome the struggle with sin and you have won for us a great victory, even an eternal conquest. We are made in the image of God and yet we are fallen in sin, but you have come in our own flesh and as our brother, as the Son of Man, You have redeemed us and restored us and promised us that even as you rule now, so we too shall rule again over the whole earth. Grant by your Spirit that we would stand in amazement of all that you have created of this world, but grant that we all, the more, would be amazed by your restoration and by the new heavens and the new earth that are already ours by faith. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.